0: Welcome to the Audiobook Speakeasy. I'm Rich Miller, and I'm your host here at the Speakeasy. This is where you'll meet narrators, coaches, engineers, and other audiobook professionals, as well as some listeners who will be sharing what they look for in a good audiobook. If you're interested in audiobook production, you've come to the right place. Tonight's Speakeasy Chat is being brought to you by Squeaky Cheese Productions on the cutting wedge. You can find them on the web at squeakycheeseproductions.com. So come on in, grab a drink, pull up a chair, and join us for a friendly chat about audiobooks. For the first time, I'm welcoming a guest into the speakeasy from across the pond. She's an actor, a narrator, and a narration coach, and she won the 2019 One Voice Award for audiobooks Best Fiction Narration. Helen Lloyd, thanks for joining me in the speakeasy tonight. It's a pleasure, Rich. Thank you very much for inviting me. I'm very glad you could make it. I know that uh, scheduling is a little more difficult when we've got such a, uh, a wide gap in time zones, but uh, I'm glad mm-hmm. we could figure out a time when it would work.
1: Yeah. Are you, are you just got up?
0: Oh, no. <laughs> no, it's not quite that bad. Uh, fortunately, uh, with only a seven-hour difference, it's uh, midday, so uh, it's midday okay. right now. Uh, okay. Of course, when I'm in the speakeasy, I always feel like it's after dinner. So since we're in a speakeasy, Helen, what are you drinking tonight?
1: Oh well I've got a double. Oh. So I've got a I've got an Earl Grey tea. Okay. Black. With a teaspoonful of honey in it. Mm-hmm. And I have a pint of elderflower and pressed pear cordial.
0: Wow, that sounds great! I'll bet that is something that my wife would love. We use uh, quite a bit of Saint Germain here, which is elderflower liqueur. Um, So, Mm. what is that again? Elderflower and what?
1: It's elderflower and crushed pear.
0: Crushed pear! Oh my gosh, that sounds uh, wonderful. What's the? Who's the? uh, The maker?
1: Ah, I have no idea. Oh, you don't have it in front of you? you, No,
0: that's fine. I'm going to have to look for something like that that, because that sounds wonderful.
1: Oh, I think it might be Robinson's, the people who make. Um, the orange juice for for Wimbledon. Oh, okay. I, I think you can get Robinsons in the states. I'm pretty certain you can.
0: Cool. I will. I will definitely look for that. Uh, uh, yeah, elderflower liqueur is a is a popular one around here. They um, do a very
1: nice mint and crushed uh, crushed mint and lime as well.
0: Oh, that's something she would love to. I'm not a huge fan of mint in my drinks. Um, I like it in my toothpaste, but that's about it. So. Um, oh well, it's,
1: it, the, this mint and lime tastes a bit like a. Um a mojito?
0: Oh sure yeah and and but, um, uh, Jenny it's, definitely it's loves a good mojito. Not
1: not alcoholic so.
0: Yeah. Um no that sounds very interesting and so you have both tea and a cordial. Um so and that's very interesting cuz Jenny loves Earl Grey tea too. I'm not a big tea drinker but um but she loves that. So how does that work well? I mean does it work well together?
1: Uh, n- well, no, I'm not actually mixing them. <laughs> I'm drinking them separately. Right. Drink,
0: drinking them separately, uh, but like yes. alternating. Well, I mean, they they... Sort
1: of, I'll drink the tea while it's hot. And then when I finish the tea, I'll drink the cordial. God. I think that's probably the way it'll work. Okay. Um, but yeah. I drink a great, or, I find that dairy makes me claggy, makes sure. my voice sticky.
2: Yeah, that's so not uncommon. So I've
1: stopped drinking milk in tea. I don't drink coffee very much at all. Um. So I stopped taking milk in tea about a year ago, um, and I haven't. I mean, occasionally, if I'm out, if they don't have Earl Grey, I'll have an ordinary, proper English tea mm-hmm. um, with with milk in. But um, no, I do. I yeah, I like it black. It 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 eases, and I also find putting a tiny little bit of honey in it um, helps to just
0: lubricate the tubes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is important when you're in the narration business. Indeed. Yeah. Well, that sounds great. Uh, thank you for that recommendation. I'm going to have to uh, to look for that and see if the, uh, the local stores here carry that. Uh, and Robinson's, I'll, I'll look for them by name. Um, I am joining you in a drink that is uh, not typically British as far as I know. It's called a fancy free. It's actually new to me. I just found it. Um, Jenny, my wife, got me very recently a book from America's Test Kitchen. About how to mm-hmm. cocktail. I don't know if you're familiar with uh, America's Test Kitchen, but they they take a very scientific approach to cooking and all things food related, right. and uh, and I like that. It it um, appeals to the nerd in me, and uh, so they they did a lot of various recipes of various different cocktails, and I had not heard of this one. Um, it certainly existed before this book came out, but uh, but I thought, well, that sounds interesting. It's it's essentially a rye old fashioned. But instead of uh, sugar cube or simple syrup, it uses maraschino or maraschino, if that's the way you mm. like it, liqueur, and mm. uh, some citrus bitters, uh, which is also common in an old-fashioned... Uh, mm. or not uncommon, I should say there are about a million different recipes for an old fashioned. So, um, and, and it uses rye whiskey instead of uh, the typical bourbon for an old mm. fashioned. but of course those are fairly interchangeable. And, uh, and so I, I tried one the other day and I liked it. I thought I would have one in the speakeasy. Um, I will say that I often try to come up with a drink that suits where my guest is from. But aside from a gin and tonic, and I'm I'm not even sure if that's the best <laughs> choice, I, I couldn't come up with what is the quintessential British cocktail. What what would you say uh, is the quintessential I British think it's cocktail? A
1: gin and tonic.
0: That's I think it, it is huh? a gin and tonic, yeah. Okay. Um
1: I mean I think or a martini. Um yeah, a gin martini okay. is pretty is pretty um. I, I love, I, uh, we have, we invested earlier, well, well, last year, year before, we bought a cocktail cabinet. And I'm talking the full works. Nice. It's got lights, it's got mirrors, it's got glass. That's it's fantastic. Got it's a sort of 1930s, 1920s, 1930s cocktail cabinet. Uh-huh. And we have, uh, we bought ourselves a, um, a major cocktail recipe book. And so we've got all the shakers and the squeezers and the you know, all the full works. So I'm, I now have a, we, we, we have occasionally occasional soirees when people come around and we do, we do taster sessions. Mm-hmm. And the biggest hit that I've done so far is called a mudslide.
0: I know of the mudslide. I don't believe I've ever made one. Uh main ingredient of that being Bailey's.
1: Uh, it's one shot of Bailey's, one shot of Kahlua, two shots of vodka, um, over ice with chocolate sauce and Hagen dazs ice cream. Ah,
0: uh, wow! So that's a lot of dairy. You won't be doing any narrating after I, having no, one of those, I, right? <laughs> I actually
1: don't like it. It's far too much for me. It's too sweet and too yeah, sickly. Yeah. But uh, we have several friends who like it, and it's very. I mean, it is like a dessert. Yeah. More than more than a cocktail.
0: Yeah, boozy but, dessert. Uh,
1: it's it's very nice.
0: I believe All right, it's well, right. the next time I have somebody, uh, somebody in the speakeasy from from over your way, I will probably go with either a gin and tonic or a martini. Martini being a a very popular drink here in the speakeasy, I think that that is probably the drink I have had more than any other. I I try to do something new every time, but you know, there's only so much you can do. So <laughs> I've I've had several martinis here when I've been speaking with people. Uh, definitely a favorite. So well, chin chin and yes. enjoy. Your whiskey sour, or whatever I, yeah. it's called, <laughs> fancy free, basically i yeah, I'm, not a, I'm not a fan of
1: whiskey, so that one doesn't appeal to me at all. I understand. i not a whiskey drinker.
0: I wasn't either until about uh, I think it was about three or four years ago, and now I've uh, got all kinds of whiskey recommendations for people. Well, anyway, I Helen.
1: Obviously- I obviously need more practice, that's the
0: problem. <laughs> that, that was my problem. It was really just kind of a matter of getting used to it and mm. understanding what was good and what wasn't. And there is mm. a huge difference, in my mm. view, between mm. uh, co- sort of mediocre to bad whiskey and good whiskey. So yeah. that, that well, was the I worked that in Scotland
1: a lot. Um, yeah. I, I spent about three years working in Scotland in theaters, various theaters. And, of course, whiskey is... You know, the big thing up there. Yeah. And I, I think the reason I went off it is because I possibly practiced rather too hard on a
0: couple of occasions. <laughs> that can happen. That can happen. Can so, indeed. Anyway, Helen, thank you so much for coming in. Cheers. Your health. Yes. <laughs> Cheers. All right. So uh so yes, as mentioned, you are from across the pond and it certainly does sound that you have been sound like you have been there for most, if not all, of your life. Where are you from originally? i was actually born in wales i'm actually welsh oh no kidding so still close so, by though
1: uh yes well yeah yeah by american standards close <laughs> by but um you know it's sort of th- three and a half four hour drive that's far in the uk oh, okay. that's a long way
0: that, that's <laughs> um, half, halfway across a couple of our states
1: Yes, I know. Yeah. I realise you're, you're you're just bigger and better.
0: No, no, no. In terms I, I, of
1: land mass, def, def, in defi- terms of land mass. Yeah,
0: I, I would agree with the land mass, but uh, yeah. but but so that so that's interesting. So uh, originally from Wales, how long did you live there?
1: Uh, I lived there until I was five.
0: Oh, so um, not too long.
1: Area, so my first language was actually Welsh, I believe, hmm. although I can't remember any of it now at all. Um, but we we lived on a. My father was a tenant farmer, and we lived on a a very isolated little farm. Without any running water or any electricity, and um, miles away from anywhere. I think our neighbours, nearest neighbours, were about seven miles away.
2: Wow, So that it wasn't is an isolated. ideal
1: place. Oh, it was. I'm sure it was wonderful, but it wasn't a great place <laughs> for a small child who needed to go to school because right. you know there just wasn't one. So we moved from there to the Midlands, uh, the, the middle of the UK, which is called the Midlands, the East Midlands, mm-hmm. when I was uh, five and a half, I think um and then moved around that area and basically I've lived in the Midlands for most of my life I mean I I left you know I left home and went to London and went to college and did all of that so I moved out but then when I met my husband in Scotland we decided to move back to the Midlands because it was in the middle and we were both actors at that point uh-huh. working actors at op- and potentially working at opposite ends of the country sure. so if one of us was working in I don't know, um, Lancaster and the other was working in Southampton, our chances of seeing each other very often were few and far between. So by living in, in the middle of the country, um, it meant that we could kind of join forces there at weekends and on vacations and things, um, and actually spend some time together, which was Nice. Um. So, and it also was a very cheap area, comparatively cheap area to get housing.
0: So, so we've lived we've lived there ever since. I am not terribly familiar with UK geography. I know that London is in the UK, and Scotland and Wales and Ireland are over there somewhere. Uh, but yes. aside from that, I, I'm not real good with the UK. Well, if you and, go and in fact, due I've only north been of London once.
1: and due south of Scotland, you end up in the Midlands, Robin
0: Hood country. Ah, okay. So it's so it's due north of London. Okay. All right. Uh, yeah, I've only been over there once, and I would really love to go back. I'm I'm glad that... Uh, I mean, I got to do a, a, just a tiny bit of touristy stuff when I was there on business, but it was only for, you know, half a day, three-quarters of a day. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, I'd really love to go back and see uh, a lot of different things that I didn't get a chance to while I was there. And um, my wife would love to go, too. It wasn't the Midlands she was talking about. It was... Um, Oh, I don't remember the the term that she gave it now. A lot of lakes in the area, wherever it was. Oh, the
1: Lake, uh, Cumbria. Okay. The Lake right. District?
0: Yeah, so Lake District sounds right. It was Lake something, so Lake District yeah, the sounds lake, right. Yeah, the
1: Lake District is the northeast of okay. the country. All right. So it's between, it's right at the very top of, England on the eastern coast or near the eastern coast, so it's Lancashire rather than Yorkshire, which mm. is on the west hand, uh, the right hand side, um, and so it's on the Scottish borders, really.
0: Oh, then I would love it because I would say enjoy the lakes. I'm going to the distilleries. So um, mm, absolutely, so, so, yeah. the, so the Midlands. So you said that you uh, went to school in London, and was that for acting? I yes, I went to drama school in London. Yes, mm. and that's, I went where you, to, that's where you met your husband.
1: No, 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 no. I met my husband many years later. Um, oh. Uh, oh, I'm work. sorry,
0: I I missed that. Right, right. No, so. no, no,
1: no. We we actually met at the in Scotland at the Pitlochry Festival Theatre. We were both doing a season there. Got it. And okay. uh, so. that was when we met. And I, that was 1970. Oh dear, eight, I think. Yes, okay. eight. 1978. Um,
0: so you've been acting for quite some time.
1: I've been acting for more than 50 years. I graduated from drama school in 1969, so 50 years ago this year.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's great. And uh, at, was it all theatrical?
1: I, yes. I mean, I did odd bits of radio and odd bits of television, but, I mean, they were very very minor. Mm-hmm. Um, so, no, I was a, a theater actor, and I worked, I mean, I did regional rep, which we have in this country, you know, real I, I was never quite weekly rep, but it was a, a play every three weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, and you'd sign up for a season. the The season at Pitt Lockery was always interesting because what the the way they sell it and still sell it, it's still running now, is that um visitors come for a week and they can see a different play every night for a week, oh my. So you're playing seven plays back to back
0: wow that's a lot of memorization work having done a little it bit is. of theater it that's is. a that's a hell it of a is. load <laughs>
1: and it i mean it, and it's a long season it runs from sort of march until october mm. so by the time you get to the end of it uh, uh, the plays are staggered they're brought in in a slightly staggered way but at the height of the season in the middle of the summer you're you're doing seven plays a different play every night yeah. and it literally is going to the dressing room and you you, the only way you know which play it is is by which costumes are hanging on the rail. <laughs> sounds a bit like Ashland. Sounds like Ashland.
0: I've been to the Ashland Shakespeare Festival yes. and yes, uh, it yes. sounds a bit like that.
1: Yeah, it, that's very well known, isn't it? Very oh, yeah. famous.
0: Yeah. yeah. And it was great. I, I really enjoyed it. Um we we went up there for a week one time and we didn't see I think we saw four plays while we were there, but it was part of a Part of a longer trip, we were going up to Canada and driving back, and um, so I, we saw three or four plays, but loved it. Um, and it was great being able to see so much theater in a short period of time yeah. with a yeah. with a group of actors that was very talented all the way around. Yes. Yeah. Where so, are you from, Rich? So I'm originally from LA, and um, then I moved up to the Bay Area in my 20s and spent uh, over 20 years there. Uh, so now I'm in the in the desert Southwest in Tucson, but originally from LA and and then the Bay Area, and it was it was a great drive, uh, a great driving vacation from the Bay Area to go up and spend three or four days in Ashland, and then spend a few days in Seattle, and then spend a few days in uh, Victoria and. Um, and we, we just loved Victoria. Victoria was great. And, uh, and then head back down. What I didn't realize was what a long drive back home it was going to be without taking the long stops that we did on the way up. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, but Ashland was, was a great place. And, and I did love all the theater. Did you, while you were doing the acting back then, did you do a lot of Shakespeare?
1: A fair bit. Yes. Yeah. Um, a fair bit. I mean, because in those days, regional theaters in the UK could afford to do Shakespeare productions. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I, there was at least one in every season, um, sometimes two. Uh, and there'd be Shaw and Brecht and Ibsen and Chekhov.
2: Mm, classics.
1: And Agatha Christie, you know, or with uh, mixed in with Agatha Christie and Alan Akebourne. And, mm-hmm. you know, so it was a real mixed bag of stuff. Um, so it was great. I loved it. It was great fun. Well, it was great. great
0: fun. So when did you get into voiceover work?
1: Um, well, I, I, uh, I, did it, I was in the, I, I did year 29 of the mousetrap in the West End.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, that is still the longest running play in the world, it isn't still it? Is. Yeah, yes, it's yeah. still
1: running. I think it's now in year 60 or 61. Wow. Uh, no, it, no, no, not quite 60. It opened in 90. The original production was in 1953.
0: So, yeah. and I was
1: in 1980 to 81. So Almost. I was in it for a year. Yeah. So I was in year 29 it's a great play. Uh, and it's still going.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, and, uh, when I got to the end of that, I, my husband and I got married during that year and we were spending so much time apart and I just thought, I just want to be at home for a bit. Mm-hmm. I just want to be home for a while. And I applied for a job at a, telev- a local television station, well, a, a network television station that happened to have a studio in Nottingham, which was about 11 miles from where we lived at the time. Mm. And to my surprise, I got it. Nice. you could have knocked me down with a feather so <laughs> i spent i i spent 6 years as a continuity announcer and presenter f- on television uh, vision and voice and that was really when i started doing voiceovers because i mean i'd done bits and bobs of radio before then mm-hmm. but that was i was able to build a career because obviously people started to recognise my voice
0: sure yeah so
1: you know i got cast for things because of the way I sounded on television and people would recognize that. So I started building a voiceover career then. And then the, I, I left continuity. I was very lucky. I got a, um, a a colleague went on maternity leave and left a vacancy in production. And I applied for that and got that, which was fantastic. Mm-hmm. So I then moved to behind the cameras and ended up, I was in, I was actually at ITV, which is the independent television which is the the network television station that isn't the bbc
0: <laughs> um, the other guys
1: ice uh, yeah the other guys mm-hmm. before channel four i mean i'm going back to the early 80s mm-hmm. so you know there there wasn't there weren't the options that there are now right. it wasn't a huge multi-channel uh platform like it is now and i ended up as a producer of documentaries so i spent oh from i suppose sixty, fifteen, sixteen 15 16 years making documentaries
0: Wow, and did uh, you do the narration for those?
1: For some of them, yes. I I narrated about fifty of them, um, but I didn't uh, not all of which I'd made. Other people had made some of them and hired me to to do the voice. So that's really how I got into voiceover, and then I took redundancy from there in the early two thousands, and thought, okay, what do we do now? So I briefly went back to acting, and then I went into theatre, back into theatre as a producer and director for a couple of years and i'd recorded an audiobook in 1980 well i'd recorded a series of audiobooks in i think about 1982
0: 1983 early days of the audiobook industry very very
1: yeah. very early days i mean on to tape and they were released on cassette yeah uh thank God, those books don't exist anymore, <laughs>
0: because I'm sure they were absolutely awful. Oh, I'm sure they weren't that bad. I'm sure oh, that they, I think they
1: probably I'm, were. I'm sure I that they
0: represented they. the the thinking and the tastes at the yes, time. Yes, at
1: the time, exactly, yeah, but that's yeah. not,
0: you know. Not at all what they yeah, want now. Not yeah. at all
1: what they want now, no, exactly. Right. So that, I mean, and I would really enjoyed it, because it seemed to me that audiobooks had a They had the best of both worlds. Um, It was voice work. I've always been fascinated by voice and the power and emotion that can be carried purely by a voice Mm -hmm. without any of the distractions of props or costumes. Or When I go to the theatre, I quite often don't watch. I just listen. Mm -hmm. Very strange. And when I was editing video, they'd say, what about the picture? I go, I'm not interested in the pictures. I just want to see if it sounds right. (laughs) And if it sounds right, then I'll fit the pictures to it. I know I've got the story right if the sound is good enough. Mm -hmm. Um, So I've always been fascinated by sound. And it seemed to me that audiobooks married the two things that I was passionate about, sound, the voice, and acting in one place. So it felt like a a natural way to go. Mm-hmm. And I mean it took me a, it took me ten more years after leaving television to kind of really find my way into audiobooks. And it was with an American. I I ACX at that time wasn't available in the UK. Mm-hmm. And because it was thirty, thirty-five years since I'd done anything, I didn't have a a profile. All I'd done was I'd narrated commercials, I'd done corporate stuff, I'd done documentaries, but I hadn't done any audio books for a long, long time. And I was approached by, you probably know him, Paul Heitch. Oh, sure, yeah. Paul approached me and he'd got a couple of books from ACX that required an English voice, a British English voice. And he asked me whether I would be interested in doing them. And I said, yes, I would. Now, how Um, did, how um, did
0: Paul know of you?
1: I'm not absolutely sure. I've never (laughs) asked him. I mean, I've actually, I've met, I now know him. I met him at APAC a couple of times. Lovely guy, but I'd never actually asked him how he found me. I've no idea really. I must ask him if he can remember. Um, I I mean, he might've found me because by then I'd got a very basic website
0: Mm -hmm. and could have just been a, a Google search.
1: Yeah. I mean, I was doing, I'd, I'd narrated a couple of, um, online documentaries. And, I mean, I suppose as somebody may have suggested me. I've got no idea, really. Yeah, that's um, but interesting. anyway, he found me. And well,
0: that, that's good. And and the um, the documentary narration piece is fascinating to me. I've always been um, really fascinated by how a good documentary narration can just suck you into the story. And I, yeah. and I think that, you know, to to your point about the video versus the audio, I think that arguably... It's more important. Now, that might just be my bias talking as somebody who talks into a microphone all the time. But, um, you know, if you go and you watch a YouTube video and you're trying to learn how to do something, even if the video is shaky or not very good, if you've Mm. got somebody describing what's going on so that you can understand what they're saying and it Mm. it makes a lot of sense and they're sort of Mm. telling a story, then Mm. you can keep watching. If you're watching Mm. a video where the video isn't very good and the audio is terrible, I'll just turn it off. I'll look for something else yes. because yes. I'm not understanding you or the, mm. the it's, it's too buzzy or whatever it is. You I'm can't make annoyed. the connection with no, it. No, no, not if at all. If the audio
1: isn't right, you can't make the connection. But the same happens in drama. I mean, you look at, I, I'll be watching television and there'll be something that'll come on and I'll think, I don't, I don't like this. This, is, I mean, this isn't grabbing me at all, and it's because it's generally because the audio quality isn't great. Mm-hmm. You know, people are muttering, or the the background music is too loud, or
0: that's a frequent complaint of mine.
1: A, a, a huge complaint. Mix it uh, better, well, yeah. Absolutely. Or or it's just all over the place. You know, you've got one person talking very loudly and this awful thing that everybody seems to do of being, you know, a, a third of an inch away from the microphone. Mm-hmm. So everything is all well, what's the uh, there's a phrase for it. I can't remember what it is now Um, for that incredibly close up work.
0: I uh, can't think of it. I, I know that there's a proximity effect. Yes, all that.
1: So you get all that kind of rumble and click and hiss and spit and stuff. <laughs> and I just, uh, horrible.
2: Yeah, yeah. So,
1: um... I just seem to fall into audiobooks and thought gosh this is such this is the most fun I've ever had That's great. in a like,
0: padded room talking to myself. Yeah like you said marrying things that are that are interesting yeah. to you. Now I want to take a step back for 1 second sure. be- because I want to make sure that everybody who's listening understands a phrase that you used which was took redundancy. I'm not ah. familiar with that phrase. I think I know what you're describing but can you explain that a little? Well, basically, means
1: they don't want you anymore. Right. So,
0: so it's basically you get laid off because yeah, uh, you get laid off. Yeah. But,
1: be, but, but you get laid off, and and you get a package. So, um, you get, uh, depending on the length of service that you've done somewhere, you get a payoff, um, equivalent to three months' salary, or six months' salary, or a year's salary, or yeah. several years' salary. Um, so that and and they they sort of take you through. The whole thing of, of of you know what options there are for retraining, right. uh, the whole thing about you know your tax situation, uh, and basically it's a yes, it's 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 like um, it is you you yes you're. It's not that you're sacked. I actually volunteered for it. Um, yeah, and, and I, I have known I people, that,
0: I've known people yeah. who've done similar things here where the package yeah. that's being offered by the company, yes, exactly. which they're not exactly. required to offer by law, but most of oh, the Oh, they better, are
1: required by law here.
0: That's what I assumed. But most yeah. of the better companies here do that if for yes. whatever reason people need to get um, laid off, essentially, um, they they'll do some kind of a package. And some people, when they find out that the company is trying to accomplish that, they will volunteer for it because either they're yes. not happy in the job or they figure that that specific package will give them opportunity to look for yes. something different. Yes. So yes. I, yes. I assumed that that's what you were talking about. Yes. It's that's just not, exactly. not, I mean, not I was, a phrase I that was, we have here.
1: I was, um, what I was, I was, I was only five years off retirement age in that industry, uh, which is not state retirement age. It's earlier. Mm-hmm. And um, I knew that the package that they would give me if I took redundancy was a better package than I would get being retired. Yeah, yeah So I took that and came away several thousand pounds better off than I would have been if I'd just waited another five years and took retirement. Sure. So, and,
0: and that gave you the opportunity to then yeah, look at other to, options, to, to one of which exactly. ended up being audiobooks. Exactly. That's yeah. exactly it. That's yeah. great. So so since you've been narrating audiobooks, uh, is there a specific niche that you find yourself in or do you prefer certain topics and genres over others? Is there anything that you won't narrate?
1: I've been really lucky, um, because I've done uh all I I've done so many fascinating books from so many different genres. I've done romance. I don't do a lot of romance because I sound a bit too mature. Let's put it that way. Um, But there is a new kind of genre that seems to be creeping up, which is the second chance romance. Mm -hmm. Um, And obviously that's much better for me because... You know, I I don't sound like a 16-year-old or a 20-year-old, but I can just about get away with being a Mm -hmm. 40-year-old. So the second chance romance is really interesting. And I have had a couple of those, which is really nice. Um, I've done fantasy. I've done horror. I've done... I do quite a lot of cozy fiction and murder mystery sort of things. Mm -hmm. Um, I've done nonfiction. I've done biography. I've done autobiography. uh, I've done self-help. I've done huge great tomes of about psychology and i mean uh, yes all sorts everything i mean that's great and
0: and yeah i've got a
1: fairly broad scope and is Um, there anything
0: that you like more than more than others
1: i always say that my favorite book is the one i'm working on at the moment (laughs)
0: Uh, good answer
1: (laughs) because it kind of has to be sure and if you're continually dwelling back on oh gosh that book i did last year was so wonderful why isn't this one as good then you're you're not doing yourself any favors. No, it's going to And come even through. if you know, you know, if you're having if you're having to make a silk purse out of a sow's ear, which occasionally we do have to do, mm-hmm. you have to believe that it is not a sow's ear, but it is a silk purse. Yeah. Because it's your job to persuade the listener that they're listening to, you know, to enhance something that isn't maybe brilliantly written. Mm-hmm. So I try not to make comparisons between books. It's very difficult, obviously, when you get. I do quite a lot of World War II things, um, you know, b- bomb girls and girls who work in factories during the war. That seems to be a genre that's that's very popular over here, mm-hmm. um, more for UK publishers than American publishers. I mainly work for American publishers, and but the last five or six books that I've done for UK publishers have all fitted into that genre, and it's... It's very difficult when you're doing a series of those by different authors not to make comparisons because some are obviously better written than others um, and more engaging. But I do try really hard not to compare uh, one book with another because I have to believe that I'm reading a book that – well, and I have to say I do turn down books that I don't like. Mm -hmm. Um, I I won't – if it's a book that I myself – I'm very lucky – I'm in a position that I can say I would not read that book if it was the only book in the library. I wouldn't read it. <laughs> right. So if if that's the situation, I, I turn it down. If I don't like the book or don't like something in it or the content or if I just don't like the characters or the way it's written, then I'll say, no, thank you. I don't want to do it. Mm-hmm. So I'm very lucky I have that. I, I've got the flexibility to do that.
0: Yeah. No, that's that is nice. Um, so you mentioned there that that you work primarily for U.S. publishers, but also sometimes for U.K. publishers, and and when you t- said that you were discussing a specific type of book, what other differences are there? So uh, clearly there are differences in what the publishers will choose to promote to begin with, but what what other differences are there between U.K. publishers and U.S. publishers?
1: One is the money. <laughs> oh. American publishers pay a lot more than British publishers do.
0: Oh, good to know.
1: Which is very nice. Um, but it's also, uh, the the industry in the UK is, is really different. The way it's set up is really different from the way it is in the US. I think, I mean, I seem to remember from APAC last year, the Audio Publishers Association conference, that something like 80% of audiobooks in the US are recorded remotely from people using their own studios at home Mm -hmm. now it's completely the other way around in the uk i've had a real struggle um 99 of audiobooks are recorded in mainstream studios with um a producer an audio engineer cast by a casting director via an agent
0: wow that's so especially especially the agent component yeah that's very interesting
1: yeah it's completely different and it's it's very much more secretive you know you go onto you go onto the website of any major publisher in the us and there'll be an email address for their casting director they'll encourage you to send submissions in to upload audio many of them have got their own websites that they cast from in the uk i mean it's taken me 2 years of hammering at people's doors to get even an introduction to people in many of the major publishers here,
0: wow that's... it's
1: a really it's it's so different it's it's much more secretive. It's much more i want to say insular, but that's not really quite the right word. It's much more traditional. I guess it's the way it was in america
0: that's that's 10, what I'm thinking it, it seems to me that what you're describing is um sort of analogous to how commercial voiceover work, especially I'm not sure about audiobook, but how commercial voiceover work used to be in the in the states, um, say yeah. 40 years ago. Yeah. and and what happened when the online casting sites came into play, things cha- started changing a little before that, but I think that that was really a game changer. Because then all of a sudden the the people who were looking for voice talent had another option besides yeah. going the traditional way. Yeah. so I, I don't think that it's exactly analogous, but it sounds fairly, fairly yes. similar. i'm I'm wondering if ten or twenty years from now, the audiobook, uh, the way that audiobooks are recorded for u k publishers is going to be radically different from the way it is now. Well, it's,
1: it's beginning it's beginning to change now. but I mean, I had, when I first started working for UK publishers, there were only two two of the mainstream publishers that would even consider remote recording. Hmm. And you had to jump through hoops. I mean, you really, really had to jump through hoops to prove that the quality of the sound that you could provide was a match mm-hmm. for, for what they were expecting. Yeah. Now, what's interesting now is that I'm now working with more uk publishers in my own studio but i kind of had to cheat and pretend that i was working in a mainstream studio when i wasn't Mm. and then say did that sound you know when when you send an audition in or something and you'd say does that sound all right yes it sounds really good right i did that at home why can't i do the book at home and they'd say well there's no director and i said okay So who is the person on the other side of the glass if I were to come into your studio? Nine times out of ten, it would be a producer who may or may not have
0: read the book Mm -hmm. or an engineer who would definitely not have read the book. And who probably wouldn't have any acting experience either.
1: And who would have no acting experience. And I've discovered when I've worked in a mainstream studio that the input, yes, it's wonderful having somebody on the other side of the glass, somebody to bounce ideas off. But, you know, I, I remember there was one scene, it was a, it was somebody, I, let's exaggerate slightly, because I do quite like exaggerating. <laughs> uh, you know, the dog had died, the baby had got whooping cough, yeah. <laughs> granny had just got run over, her husband had walked out on her. And the person on the other side of the glass who was producing this audiobook said, you sound awfully snotty. And I said, that's because she's crying. This is acting. Mm -hmm. And I thought, you know, the the whole thing of the clarity of the sound was what that person was listening for. Right. Much more of a technical focus. Not the performance. Yeah. Exactly. So I can achieve that here, Mm -hmm. where I'm talking to you now. I've used clips from audiobooks with permission, obviously, on my own website. From books that have been recorded in a mainstream studio, and I've listened back to those clips. and I'm, thought, I'm sorry, that's not good enough. I wouldn't. I wouldn't put that through my studio. I wouldn't put my name to it. So I've re-recorded it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. you know, I I I think those people who do work remotely are pickier and more. Um, you know, they have greater attention to detail and are much, much pickier than most mainstream studios because you have time to do it. You know, you can work... If if you need to spend an extra hour to redo something, you can make that extra hour out of your own time. Mm-hmm. If you're in a mainstream studio, you know, you've got three days to do 14 hours. Right.
0: You're stuck. You're done.
1: You're stuck. You're done. And every time you go over... If you overrun, that's costing them money. So, you know, what their aim is, is to get as good a book as they can possibly get out within the deadline. When I'm working at home, it's to get as good a book as I can get out done within the timescale I've set myself. But if I want to start work at six o'clock in the morning, I can. If I want to go past midnight, I can. Mm -hmm. If I want to not record one day because I'm feeling a bit rough, I can. Right. So for me, I have a. I have the flexibility, but it allows me to be as picky as I am.
0: Yeah, no, it makes makes a lot of sense because I
1: can have that flexibility. Yeah. So, I... and I mean, that's something that is beginning. I mean, I, I've, I'm, I'm a, a union member in the UK. I'm a member of Equity. I've actually spoken at various Equity meetings about this, and I think the reason that that traditional narrators in the UK are scared of it is because. Because, a, because it's technology. They're not used to doing technology stuff at the same time as they are reading. Mm-hmm. But it is one button. It's a button that says R for record and a button that says stop for stop. And that's all <laughs> it is. You right. know, is. I'm not doing my own proofing. I'm not doing my own editing. I'm not doing my own mastering. I'm handing all that over to an audio engineer. So I really don't see it such a huge difference. Because yeah. the choices that an actor makes in a studio whatever that studio nine times out of ten are the actors' choices yeah the, with the... conversation with the author and the producer and the publisher it's obviously a you know it's a it's a, a collaboration mm-hmm. but you know and if the book says he came from the highlands of Scotland then you know you're going to do a Scottish accent mm-hmm it's not brain surgery.
0: <laughs> the the technology piece, it, it really is a stumbling block for some people, but I yes, I, I continue to believe that for most people, I I mean, you know, I don't have any data to back this up, but about I really think that for ninety percent of the people out there, the the stumbling block is mostly in their head. And and yes. if they would just work at it for, yes. you know, I, I'm not saying an hour, maybe it's a week, maybe it's a month, maybe because you mm. are a technophobe mm. or you have not been exposed to the technology, maybe mm. it's going to take you quite a bit of time and you really should get training if if it's that difficult for you from somebody mm. who knows what they're doing. But once mm. you do, I really think that most people could get over that much more easily than they think if they're afraid yeah. of it. Um. I think
1: the problem is is that people try to do everything in one go. So if somebody's working solo for the first time, rather than saying, okay, I can't start recording this book until I've learned how to use the software, what they're doing is saying, okay, well, I'm going to do this book. I've got brand new software. I've never recorded myself before. Um, I'm here in an environment I've never been in before. And I haven't got somebody to bounce the idea off on the other side of a, in, a, in a control room. So they're taking on board two or three new things to happen all at once mm-hmm. rather than learning one of them so that, you know, the the touch typing hand presses the keys automatically so that you can concentrate on the performance. Right. And, and I think that's the problem is that people think, oh, well, now here's ACX or here's Authors Republic or here's Findaway or Spoken Realms or all of those platforms that are now offering narrators the chance to be contacted directly by authors And they're they're going into that that and saying, oh, this is wonderful. This is going to give me an endless supply of work. And they take it all on. They sign up for three books on a royalty share or whatever sort of deal. Suddenly discover that creating an hour of audio is going to take them significantly longer than an hour. (laughs) (laughs) Significantly. Significantly longer (laughs) than an hour. I know some people, when they start out, you know, they're spending six hours to create an hour of, of audio that they're happy with. Yeah, and if you if you're trying to do all of that and meet a deadline, then of course, yes, it's terrifying.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, it, it, I, I agree. It's it's taking on too much at once. Whereas if you if you learn things um, slowly but efficiently and effectively, yeah. um, I I really think that the the technology component is really. Um, It's a hurdle at first, but once you get over that hurdle, it's not hard to keep getting over it. Yes, exactly. And I
1: mean, if you think about a stage, if you think about it yourself as a stage actor, people say, well, you know, you're immersed in it. You're in the role. How can you be in the book if you're having to do other stuff? Well, an actor on stage is aware of the audience. Mm -hmm. They have to be. You know, they've always got their other ear listening for the laugh so that they don't tread on it. You know, if an actor misses a line or misses a cue or something goes disastrously wrong, they're not oblivious to what's going on around them.
0: Nope. And and, you know, and, that... it, and it really is. I, I agree. It's it's really stuff that is outside of the play. I mean, uh, blocking. Yes. Right. Just just yeah. just the blocking of the play. You yes. have to walk here. You have to stand there. Yeah. That That is not something in most plays, un- unless you're talking about more experimental stuff, that is not something that you just leave to chance. That is something no. that you've rehearsed, no. exactly. you've, you've directed. Exactly. And every time you're doing the play, you have to be that character and you have to be in the moment. And you also have to remember to walk those four paces over to the desk. Or, yeah, exactly. or whatever it is. Yeah, so exactly. so I agree you're, you're constantly having to remember that you are acting in something rather than this is actually you well, w- what's the same it? way Meisner with audiobooks.
1: Acting, acting is the ability to to be to be believable in an extraordinary situation something like that
0: Oh and who was that Meisner
1: Meisner yeah, yes yeah. Sanford Meisner and, and it's it's so true. it is it is completely artificial it isn't truth. Yep. you know if you would if you were playing King Lear and you were feeling it every night, you'd had a nervous breakdown at the end of the first week yeah you can't do it you have to have a technique yeah and that technique includes being aware of what's going on around you and the same happens in an audiobook. I always think you know if somebody's sobbing their heart out when they're reading an audiobook then they're doing a huge disservice to the listener because what you're trying to do is, enable the listener to feel the emotion not feel it yourself.
0: Mm-hmm. right. I had a I had an acting coach one time who who used to um, he he would ask us questions, try to draw things out of us. And I remember one time he asked, "Now, when when you are in a scene like this, whatever he was whatever we were working on. I don't I don't remember yep. what it was, but whatever we were working on, he said, "Now, when you're in a scene like this, you know, do do you need to um what what are you trying to do? Do do you need to be that person? And somebody would say yes. I mean, you really need to to um, not just portray it, but to actually be that character. And and he would say no, because then you're psychotic. You 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 you, <laughs> you, you aren't. That person, you are somebody that is that is playing that person, and uh, and, I, and I think of that a lot with a lot of acting. Is um, it it's a difficult line. It's uh, you, you really Excuse. need to understand how to portray it so that it mm. is believable without mm. actually taking it on and and I know stories of actors who have taken it on a bit too much and mm. and that ends up causing um you know various different types of mental distress mm. i'm not i'm not saying permanent but, it, but um, no no
1: but it but it, it, it i think that's what rehearsal is for the the rehearsal period in a drama in a play is where you discover the truth is where you discover the reality where you explore what it might feel like you know, if you, if you, to murder somebody, for Mm -hmm. example. Right. Um, but you can't, you can't put yourself through that. I mean, rehearsals are incredibly intense, incredibly, um, emotional places to be, but you're in a safe environment. Mm -hmm. Hopefully you're in a safe environment. You always should be. Um, but you can't, you can't have that rawness night after night because it's not controlled and you have to, on a stage, you have to be controlled. You know, if you're playing Sweeney Todd and you're slitting people's throats, if you're not controlled, you will hurt somebody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it, it, it's, yes, it, of course it's acting. Of course audiobooks is acting. But it's not, I, I always, maybe I think the Brits may be slightly more um, contained, maybe. I don't know. I mean, some of the method actors coming out of America are, remarkable people but they're generally working in film Mm -hmm. they're not having to repeat you know robert de niro doesn't have to play his role night i mean he's playing it over a long period of time because a film takes months and months and months to make but he's not repeating it night after night for a 10 month run
0: yeah yeah very very different animals it's a
1: whole different genre altogether it's a different thing altogether and i think that if you if you start being too immersed as a as a reader or as an actor, then actually you, the tendency is that you can easily, very easily become rather self-indulgent about it mm. rather than actually allowing, giving the gift to the listener and allowing them to use some of their own imagination to, to experience what you, you're a conduit. Right. You're, you're a conduit for the author to, 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 put the words forward to somebody else so that they make them they make the story belong to them
0: yeah i I like that way of putting it and that's one of the things that i love about this art form and and writing um allowing Mm. me to take take the words that you've written to tell a story and i don't know what was in your head as you describe this this castle and and the dragons flying around it i don't know what you saw in your head but i'm seeing something and yes. uh, and allowing yes. me to take uh, to take that and and make it something that i believe um i i think that that's uh, that's that's gold so, aren't we lucky yeah yeah aren't we ab- lucky absolutely we have the privilege to do that yeah yeah. Um, so, getting back to uh, to your recording at home versus recording in a studio, what is your home situation like? You've got a you've got you've clearly got a, a home studio, and that's where you do some recording. Um yes. Do you have any challenges there? Do you have other people in the house? Do you have neighbors? I do. do you which have to... I
1: have a. I, I'm very lucky in that I have I've got i I've got a cube, that's the brand name, a cube isolation booth, which is two and a half meters by five meters, so it's quite a big one. Oh yeah, that's
0: good size.
1: Uh, yeah, it's a good size, and it's standard, you know, room height, and it's in a basement, so I'm underground.
0: Oh, so you you have uh, a pretty isolated space. I,
1: I'm yet yeah, my husband can get up, have a shower, make a cup of tea, go into the room next door me door to me, and turn the television on, and I can't hear him. That's at all.
0: great. Oh man, yeah, so I'm very lucky. Li- that's very I nice. I am very li- li- yeah.
1: I mean, uh, this is comparatively new. I've only had this for recently. Um, I was recording in a converted. Room uh, again in the basement. Uh, I was actually recording, I'll tell you this, and you mustn't tell anybody.
0: And it's just you and me, except the
1: people who are listening to this. Of course, <laughs> it's just <pretty> us. <laughs> um, I converted a downstairs loo.
0: <laughs> I hope um, you had plenty of padding I... on the walls because that can yep, be a very noodles
1: and noodles and noodles of padding. on that's the wall. good. It was, it was in a basement, <laughs> it was isolated. And I didn't actually sit on the loo, you yeah. understand <laughs> I did convert it first. Yeah. Uh, but I I've done I suppose I did sixty odd audiobooks in there with you know, with no problems at all.
0: Yeah. Well well that's cool. That's that's a, a very good use of a uh, of a space. It's it's I wanted to make sure about the padding there because anybody who thinks they can record in the bathroom, think oh, again no, 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 unless no, unless had, you do convert it and, and no, add. No. I had
1: yeah. I had acoustic foam on well, on all, all the walls, the ceiling,
0: mm-hmm. I had
1: base traps all over the place. Yeah. I you, had, you
0: really have to treat it if you're going to use. Yeah,
1: a yeah, it, like it was hugely treated. Yeah. I yeah. had, um, do, du- uh, three duvets draped over wall over the door. So they were on a kind of sliding curtain thing mm-hmm. so that when I opened the door, I could slide all these, these duvets across. Sure, um, yeah. and I had foam on a uh, high density absorbent foam on the floor with a carpet on top of it
0: yeah um, got to do all those things for a, for a yeah. room that echoes that much yeah, yeah.
1: no so, i mean it was only tiny i mean it was only a tiny room it was smaller than my booth
0: mm-hmm.
1: so it was i think it was two foot by four foot
0: mm-hmm. yeah so small, it was very small small space so yeah, uh, small but, space. but you had that space and you did a lot of books and now you've got your new yeah, space yeah. and yeah. uh you just recently won an award so tell me about that yes it, well, it was so exciting. Um,
1: it was I it was for a book that I recorded for Blackstone, which is an American, as you know, an American company, mm-hmm. and it was called Lady Osbaldistone and the Missing Christmas Carols. Mm. And it was one of it's the middle book of a series of three that I've recorded for Blackstone, and it's a wonderful. It's by um, a, a, an Australian author, um, and but it's set in the in the UK. In 18 something. And it's a beautiful book. They're a lovely series of books. They're family listening. And it's it's a a, a Dowager grandmother. So I've got to be my 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 Maggie Smith came into
0: the <laughs> father. So That's the this first wonderful... person I thought of when you said Dowager exactly. Grandmother. <laughs> it's
1: this wonderful dowager lady who has three grandchildren, no, five grandchildren who um, come to stay with her in her manor house because their uh, younger brother has got measles over Christmas and they obviously don't want the children to get it, so they come to stay with Grandmama. Hmm. And uh, they have their three imps' uh, age. I mean, so it was, a, you know, I was doing Lady Osbelderston up here and then the youngest of them was two years old, so that was a real (laughs) challenge.
2: Um, No doubt. And
1: it's their adventures as they... Um, they're, you know, they're doing a carol service and they're trying to find the music and they can't find it. And then there's a romance and it's all, and there's ice skating and it's all very idyllic and mm-hmm. a bit, a bit Dickensy, but absolutely delightful. It was lovely. And um, the One Voice Awards is a, one of the biggest, well, it is, I think it's probably the only award ceremony in the UK or awards thing in the UK that actually has audiobooks as a a category yes. I mean there are lots of voiceover awards things in the u k uh, fewer than there are in the u s, but there are you know one or two, mm-hmm. but most of them don't include audiobooks as as one of the things in their list hmm. and the One Voice Awards has two audiobooks awards, one nonfiction and one fiction um unlike, you know, the Audis or something where it's every single category of audiobook gets an award. There's only two audiobook awards. So it felt really special. special. I was was very surprised and very thrilled. And it was very exciting. I was
0: chuffed great. And and I'll bet Blackstone was happy as well.
1: And Blackstone was very happy. Yes, they were. (laughs)
0: Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, And you've been nominated for other awards as well.
1: Yes, I was. I was nominated for a One Voice Awards non-fiction uh, award in 2018 and again in 2019. Um, one was an audible production and the other one was a book that I did through uh, Spoken, not through Spoken Realms, well, through Findaway
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, directly with the author. And then the author and her publicist not, uh, put me forward or that book which was called, but my brain had other ideas. It was a memoir <laughs> of a recovery. Well, it was a, it was an extraordinary story. It's a it's a woman. She's a mathematician, a, a British expat, Brit living in uh, Philadelphia. She's a professor of mathematics at Carnegie Mellon University mm-hmm. in Philadelphia, and she had a condition called. ha! <laughs> I've got to get it right. Oh, well, I, I can't remember. I, I, it's a very complicated, long, and difficult name. But mm-hmm. basically, she had clusters of bleed on the brain. Oh. And she had uh, like little clusters of... Stroke. St- almost like strokes, but no, more like an aneurysm. Oh, wow. So she And she had three of them, one on her stem, on, on the base of her brain, and two in her brain. And she had three sets of major surgery, and... Is now back teaching. Uh, she's wow, that, a remarkable, that amazing. Woman. Sounds
0: like even but, just one of those could be and, yes, and I would imagine in in some Absolutely. situations might be just Absolutely. completely deadly. Absolutely, yeah. Her name's
1: Deb Brandon, and she wrote this wonderful memoir of her recovery from that brain injury wow. and all the all this all the side effects that it had, um, like extraordinary sensitivity to taste and smell and sound, and she had what had the appearance certainly of being epileptic seizures thereafter total memory loss she had to learn to read again she had to learn to write again it was like her her template had been wiped wow, Yeah. there was nothing there and she had to kind of rediscover all this so it's a remarkable book and it's done in a kind of in a flashback way where there's half of the book was the voice in her head saying why am i here what's going on what's What's happening why can't I see anything? why can't I hear anything? Mm-hmm. Where am I? and then suddenly something would happen and it would it was it was a wonderful book and I was very very honored that to be that she asked me to read it and she and her publicist nominated or put this forward this book forward for the um, Sovas awards for the nonfiction for the biography mm. category. And it was shortlisted, so that was another real. I was so pleased for Deb, and she went with all her family to the award ceremony and had a red carpet
0: experience, which was absolutely wonderful. That's for her. fantastic. Yeah, I bet that she loved that. Yeah. Well, well, that's great. Um, so, in addition to being an award-winning narrator, you coach narrators. I do. How did that come yes. about? That came about because people kept asking me to do it. (laughs) (laughs) That's great when you get the request. I mean, clearly that means that you've made an impact on various people in various ways, and they consider you an expert. So – um and clearly as somebody who has been acting for as long as you have in various different capacities and who has done well with audiobooks um that makes sense um how how do you coach what's your approach to coaching
1: well i mean i should give you a bit of history i used to do i, I be audio you'll know about B audio mm-hmm, Sure. i was their uk voice wrangler um that's their phrase not mine that's the title they came up with me for <laughs> when they first came to the uk they needed to find narrators in the uk quickly
2: mm-hmm.
1: um i think they needed 50 within about three weeks so wow. they gave me the task of finding and training narrators who'd never recorded remotely before um to do it and i i along with one of their audio engineers ran um they called it a home studio certification course it was really getting getting people who'd not worked remotely on their own before up to a technical quality where that they could meet B's standards sure, for all of yeah. their publishers. And I ran that for four years for B oh, and quite a while. It, it then, it then became too complicated because we, we, we did it on three sets of software that between the engineer and I, we knew we could cover, but people were then saying, well, can you do it for Reaper? Can you do it for twisted wave? Can you do it for pro tools? Uh, can you do it for this, that, and the next thing? And, no, we couldn't, because uh, a, we didn't we would have had to be trained in that software, mm-hmm. and B would have had to buy it for us right uh, and they I think by that time they'd got enough narrators and there'd there'd been enough narrators go through the system that they actually didn't need it anymore. So I'd written all the course material for that. and they gave me the copyright back when that course finished, and said, "Do with it what you will." oh.
0: That's interesting. interesting.
1: Yeah, well, I'd written it in the first place, so it was <laughs> my original material. But yeah, but, that, but that's not uncommon.
0: Using... I mean, I know that in the U.S., having having been a software engineer for many years, um, it's often considered well, while you're working for us as the company, anything you do is ours forever. Yeah, you know, it was very generous. Of so, them, and so I'm... well, I, yeah, I, I wasn't even thinking generous. I was just thinking a little unusual. Um, so, so that's great. That sounds like something that then you could use. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I sat on it for about two years and thought I need to do something because people were saying, you know, people were still writing to B and saying, I want to do this course. And B would then pass them on to me and say, can you explain? Mm -hmm. So I would explain, I'm sorry, they don't do it anymore. And I thought, well, I'm not, I'm not an audio engineer. I mean, I know what I'm doing, but I'm not, you know, I'm not an engineer. So I d- I wanted to take that element slightly out of the equation. I do actually now have an engineer who I hire to give people technical feedback mm. on their assignments. So one of their assignments, they they send a raw audio in and also a what they consider to be mastered, because obviously a lot of people are working. Independently, in doing their own editing and mastering, mm-hmm. and I send that off to the audio engineer they then get a written report back from him with tweaks and all the rest of it. so so i took I sort of took the technical side of it rather out of the equation and made it much more about voice, microphone technique, performance technique, getting inside a text, marking up you know the whole thing, all the things that we all do. Mm-hmm. And it's a six-part course with, oh, I mean, a a, a book, essentially, a a lot of written. I mean, it's dense written material. Mm -hmm. It's a written, you know, it's a written course. But each, uh, at the end of each section of the course, there is an assignment set. And I choose texts that, I try to choose texts that I think will fit the kind of work that the narrator may be cast in so for example i play to their strengths i'll give them you know if it's somebody who's of a certain age i won't make them go vastly out of their age range in terms of the narrative voice mm-hmm. so it's it's very much customized to the person i'm working with so who do they, you
0: who do you think your your primary audience is uh, is it new narrators or is no, it? no i don't
1: work i don't work with new narrators at all
0: okay all right. I've said
1: that from the very beginning. This course is not for new narrators. Um, it, it's for people who've got some experience either of narration or of acting. Okay. So they're either trained actors who want to break into narration or narrators who want to up their acting skills. Got it. Uh, rather than, than people who are saying, well, you know, how far away from the microphone do I need to be? Right. That's, you know, I I, I really... I really struggle to be, um, I don't have the generosity or the patience. I'm very critical. um, And I say right from the beginning, I will be much tougher on you than most other coaches will be because I'm not here to massage your ego. I'm not here to tell you that, you know, if you just keep doing this, you will be wonderful because I actually don't think that that is fair on people.
0: No, I, if, I agree. That that doesn't help anybody. <laughs>
1: you know, it doesn't. And and so often I come across situations where people have been told, you know, just take another take another class and you'll get there. No, you won't. If you haven't got the talent, you won't. I'm sorry, but you won't. Um, so I'm I'm much tougher than I think a lot of coaches are. And I audition people and I say, I'm sorry. I don't think This is going to work. So, um, yeah, I'm tough. I am really tough on people. And I set them really tough assignments as well, and lots of them. And we then do it at the end of each assignment. They send me their audio. I write them a written report. And I literally, it's almost like I direct them, if you like, on that particular piece. We then do an hour one-to-one session on Zoom. And if they want to do it again, then they get another, another crack at it. And at the end of a year, they complete all six parts.
0: Um, that that sounds great. That that you're tough. I I think that um, I would much rather my coaches be tough on me than uh, than be easy on me. And and I think it's also fair, uh, completely fair, to you know say I don't work with new narrators, or I do work with new narrators and if you don't um, it, it's not that there's anything wrong with being a new narrator it's that no are, no absolutely there are, not there are other resources out there that are going to help yes, you figure exactly. out how to how to exactly. be far enough away from the mic and yeah, and the exactly. basics that you're talking about yeah exactly. I, I, I think and that's I think, all fair i
1: think you know what i what i can give somebody also they need to be able to, they need to know enough to be able to understand the terminology that i'm talking about mm-hmm. so if i'm talking about modulation or Uh, pitch or pace or pause or, you know, varying the, the ambience or the texture of the voice or, or vocal fry or repeat patterning or whatever. They need to know what I'm talking about. I don't want to waste 10 minutes of the precious hour that we have together saying, right, well, repeat patterning is when you go up and down in the same place. Every time you read a sentence, Mm -hmm. no matter what the content of, you know, that's, that should be a given to somebody who's done three or four audiobooks or always a trained actor. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I've got something to give to those people that is more valuable if they know the basics. And as you say, there are lots of resources for people to find out the basics.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. More and more every day. It seems I, um, I'm, I'm not really that active on social media right now, but, um, but every once in a while, I pop in, and and I'm I'm so glad to see some of the things recommended, like uh, Karen Cummins' um, narrated yes, roadmap, and
1: absolutely
0: even even the facts on on some of the groups that I belong to. Um, there are some great resources out there, to, for, there for people who are new that are that are free, that's right, and that will give absolutely. you those give you those basics that will yeah, get you right. at least so that you can start out without being. Uh, you know, overwhelmed by it all, exactly. Without being overwhelmed, yes. and without putting out something that you think, I think this is good when it's really not. And yes, and exactly. so, um, so yeah, I, I think that more and more every day there's there's I, stuff But out I there.
1: also think that it's it's not. The, I mean, the, the, there are there is a huge amount for new narrators. Karen Commons, her her thing is absolutely brilliant. It's wonderful. Um, the work that Johnny Heller does mm-hmm. and his splendiferous workshops. Yeah, the work that Sean Pratt does in nonfiction—it's—it's it's absolutely superb, and it's—it's—it's it's, it's wonderful that those resources are there. The free resources, gravy for the brain. Mm-hmm. Uh, I—I know that operates in the U.S. as well, but it's very strong over here, mm-hmm. with with a huge database of wonderful webinars about, you know, the the very very basic things. But I also think if you give—I also think people should 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 gain the ability to find things out for themselves. And if they can't find a route to find those things out for themselves, then they're actually probably going to really struggle to make their way as a narrator because you have to be able to find things out. You know, you have to be able to do the research
0: Absolutely. For, a,
1: for a nonfiction title, for example, yourself. You can't rely on somebody else to do it and you can't guess and you can't wing it. So if you can't find your way into the you know the very basic the beginning things then perhaps it's not for you maybe mm-hmm. and i don't want somebody to be paying me for me to say after i'm sorry i don't think this is you know you're not ready for this right. you're not ready for what i am for what i can give you you need to go away and do half a dozen books maybe more depending on you mm-hmm. and you know when you've done that then yes, I can give you something. But if I, you know, I'm talking to you about modulation or or anything else, and you actually haven't got a clue what I'm talking about, you're wasting your time and mine. Right. So I don't I don't coach beginners.
0: No, I, I, I understand. And and uh, again, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. There's uh, you know, deciding where you fit into the into the pie which which piece you are whether it's it's yeah. this one or that one yeah. i think that's yeah. totally fair for but, anybody but
1: it's also it's a lack, you know there isn't there are there aren't I, as far as i know there are very few people in the uk i haven't been able to find there are lots of very good voice coaches um and there are lots of very good acting coaches but i haven't found anybody else who coaches audiobooks in the uk and in in quite the same way they might do audiobooks as a kind of add-on
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know uh, uh, on a on a voice or a voice over coaching rather mm-hmm. than voice coaching right um, but I don't know of anybody else who's doing this. Wait, wait till this goes out, and I'll suddenly be inundated with hundreds <laughs> of letters saying, Well, you haven't looked very far because I've been doing this for, but I don't know. I don't that, know. I don't that, think there are. That
0: could be. Um, but, but that leads to a good question. Uh, you do have students in the US, though, right? You you, don't, yes, you I do. You don't coach yes, yes. only for the no, 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 UK. No,
1: no, I, I coach students, uh, US, UK, Australia, anywhere. I don't mind where they come from.
0: Okay. All right just wanted to make sure of that. So No, no, no. I do US and UK students. So you have clearly a lot of information that you can impart to narrators that will help them move forward. What can what what can you offer for free right now as just a a word of advice to anybody who is uh, either an experienced narrator or maybe somebody who's just getting into the game?
1: Learn to listen.
0: Oh, great acting advice in general.
1: It's if you can't hear what you're doing, in a critical and constructively critical way, then you're not going to be able to hear what the listener is hearing. And, you know, to all actors, listen, listen, Mm -hmm. listen, listen. React as you would. But listening, If you you can train your ears. You know, I've got quite old ears, really. Um, And people keep saying that your hearing goes off when you're old. Well, I can hear a pin drop at... 500 paces um, because my ears are so attuned to sound now Mm -hmm. that I hear things in the same way that an audio engineer I'm not as I keep saying I'm not an audio engineer but audio engineers have ears like bats I'm Mm -hmm. convinced of it (laughs) because they can pick up a mouth click in the middle of a word that most people wouldn't hear but you need to have that attention to detail as a narrator and you need to get to know your own voice and what your own voice is capable of. And you need to be brave about it. Play with your voice. Don't, you know, it's it's an instrument. It's capable of wonderful things and conveying huge ranges of emotion and passion and rage and anger and love and poetry and everything. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a wonderful instrument. But if you can't use it, effectively, then you can't, you're, you're cutting out half of your ability. So, you know, take voice lessons, not voiceover lessons, voice lessons. Take, join a singing group, join an acting group, work on improvisation, hone your acting skills, read aloud every single day, record yourself reading aloud every single day, and compare what you did yesterday with what you've done the week before and see how you learn and don't start accepting work until you know you're ready to take it you can only make one good first impression so never audition for practice always practice to audition
0: oh that's good i so i have certainly heard that before i've never heard it put quite that way i i like that that's great um uh, Helen, this has been, this has been great. Uh, thanks. Thanks so much for coming into the speakeasy. Where can people find you if they, uh, if they want to find you online?
1: My website is Helen
0: Fairly easy. Are you on other platforms, Twitter, Instagram, any else?
1: Facebook. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram and everywhere. I am Helen Lloyd audio.
0: Oh, that's great. That always makes it easy. Same name <laughs> across all of them. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not always possible. And please connect
1: and say, you know, please, I, I love having I love having chats. And I do, you know, I, I say I don't help beginners. I do help beginners all the time. You know, I'm having conversations with them. I, I'll send them information about setting up a home studio for the first time. I'll talk them through setting up their software but I I won't actually take their money off them and coach them if you see what I mean I, I do I, I do. I'm that's fantastic to mentor yeah. people and support them when they're starting out um, I, you know we all started somewhere and I love being able to give something back to the community but I don't want to
0: that's different from coaching I'm there to help and support sure no I completely understand and and it um, it it sounds to me a lot like the audiobook community that i'm familiar with it's that yes, everybody it's i fantastic. know is it's just a wonderful, willing to help one community yeah
1: and i'm yeah. i'm so grateful to all my colleagues everywhere but in in the states particularly for being so warm and so welcoming and so friendly and so kind you know helping i've been to apac three times and it is the it's just such a wonderful experience. I think I must um, have
0: met you at the first APAC that I went to then because I think that I met you in 2017. That's the first one I did. Yeah, I think that must have been uh that must have been when I met you. It it may have been the next year but uh and and we only spoke briefly but I never forgot you. So I'm I'm oh, glad that Oh, that's very sweet of you. No, I
1: booked my ticket for next I booked my flight for next year already. Oh, that's
0: great. That's great. I I have not yet but um but I'm 90 percent sure i'll be there again so hopefully we can we can hook up there again. i hope
1: we can rich it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you i've really enjoyed it i'm so glad you could come
0: in thanks helen cheers thank you cheers well that's it for tonight many thanks to helen lloyd for stopping in from all the way over in the uk i'm very glad that i met helen at apac a couple of years ago and that i saw someone post something recently about working with her I enjoyed hearing about her acting career and the coaching that she does, and I hope you did too. Don't forget to check out the sponsor for tonight's episode, Squeaky Cheese Productions. They're on the cutting wedge. They're on the web at squeakycheeseproductions.com, and I'm very grateful for their support of the audiobook speakeasy. As always, you can find the audiobook speakeasy on iTunes, Stitcher, and Podbean, and all the apps that pull from iTunes. And you can find me at richvoiceproductions.com where I've got some samples and links to audiobooks I've narrated, and where I'm also posting episodes of the audiobook speakeasy. If you're enjoying our speakeasy chats, please take a few minutes to leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you're not enjoying them, please find a podcast you do enjoy and leave them a review. If you think this show is educational, entertaining, or valuable simply because it gives you an excuse to sit down and enjoy a cocktail in an otherwise hectic day, I'd really appreciate it if you'd add a buck or two to the tip jar. You can make a per-episode donation by signing up at patreon.com audiobookspeakeasy, or you can make a one-time donation by visiting paypal.me audiobookspeakeasy. Any financial support is greatly appreciated, as it helps me keep the lights on here in the Speakeasy. Until we see you here in the Speakeasy again, I hope you can find some time to enjoy an audiobook. Cheers!